Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 102. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Uh, And this is the start of a new era for the Life of the School podcast. Uh, For the past 101 episodes or so, the show has predominantly been me sitting down with a single life science teacher and asking them how they got in the classroom and what they were working on and what their hopes for the future. But uh, as we head into uh, the uncertainty and potential chaos of the upcoming school year, I have uh, convinced a few of my colleagues to turn this into much more of a panel discussion about teaching and learning, particularly as it applies to biology teaching and learning. So uh, I am very excited to have three colleagues join, and we're going to go and make this a panel show uh, for the foreseeable future. So with that, I've already introduced myself. Um, I'm going to introduce Lee from Texas. Lee, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm Lee Ferguson. I am an AP and IB biology teacher from Allen High School uh, in Allen, Texas, which is about 25 miles north of Dallas. Um, this is year number 24 in the classroom for me. So so yeah, <laughs> I'm also the I'm also an AP consultant and I'm and the moderator of the uh, AP Biology Teachers Community for College Board. Yeah, Lee wears a lot of hat. Then we got a lot of hat wearers in this in this yes. grouping. <laughs> and Tanea, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Tanea Hibbler, and I teach honors biology and AP biology at Brophy College Preparatory in Phoenix, Arizona. And I think this is my I'm starting my 16th year teaching. And I also wear a lot of hats, but I'll just say I'm also on the board of the AMTA, the American Modeling Teachers Association. So I also teach workshops over the summer and I'm doing some other stuff, but I don't don't think I'm allowed to announce it yet. So I'll talk about some (laughs) other things later on a future episode. Yeah, again, always. And then now we're going to get to the person who really can't tell us all of the work he does. Uh, and that's Ryan. Introduce yourself, Ryan. Hi, my name is Ryan Laxon. I teach in a very small rural district in southwest Missouri. Uh, I am the only science teacher, so I teach um, general biology, AP biology, chemistry one, chemistry two, physics, public health, anatomy, and physiology. I do it all. Um <laughs> Not wow. to mention all of the other extra extracurriculars I, I do for the district. Um, yeah, I mean that that's about it for me. Do you do you drive the bus too? Um. <laughs> they, they have tried to get me to get my CDL so that I could drive the bus. And I oh my gosh! <laughs> I, I drive the short bus at my school for uh, retreats. Yeah, yeah. They they recently got us vans, uh, and I've been uh, taking vans of kids in, but that's that's only for like little extracurricular things. It's not a <laughs> regular regular thing, and I don't need a special license for it. So, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, yeah. This is, uh, and I cannot thank these guys enough. I, I keep thanking them for for joining me, but uh, I'm going to dive right in on on the question we have been chatting about. We we have a whole bunch of different topics we want to talk about this year, but when we we first got together, uh, the conversation that we were we were talking about is, you know, are teachers quitting or are the teachers staying? And so why are some teachers quitting? Why are teaching staying? Um, and and what's going on right now in the teaching profession that we're seeing in our experiences? Um, and as I, I sort of jokingly started before we got into it, uh, that we could just like read all of Lee's social media posts for the last couple of weeks uh, <laughs> as as she in Texas has gone back a little ahead of us. Um, and as I say, we're recording this in, in late August. And mm-hmm. um, I think we're, I think we could talk a little bit about where we are individually. Lee's been back for right. a little bit. And Tanea, you are you are just starting trans back transition back remotely and i think we're on the eve of ryan going back um and then and and my pd starts this upcoming week so um yeah ryan what were you saying i was just saying my first day with students is tuesday tuesday this upcoming yeah so uh and again i and i'm not going to see my students for three more weeks so it's just in terms of a we're at a very different places where we start so (laughs) So, uh, and again, Lee, and we're also in different places in terms of the infection. So like in Massachusetts, we have like a, between like a one and a half percent positivity rate for testing. 
Um, you know, we're down or under 300 cases a day in the state. Um, deaths are way down. Um, you know, like it, the the metrics of my community are there. And some schools are going back fully remote and some are going hybrid. And you're in Texas, where yes. I think the last number I saw for you was 14% positivity rate. Uh, yeah, and that's, and that's lower than it was a couple of weeks ago when we actually started back with faculty only because my, um, my district returned the first week of August, faculty only face-to-face. Um, they, they brought us all back together in the building, but all of our meetings were remote. Um, and so, you know, I'm sitting at my desk in my classroom, Zoom meeting all day long for two and a half weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, why couldn't I have done this from my house? <laughs> because there's nothing at my campus that I actually needed in order to sit in a Zoom meeting. In fact, my tech setup here at home is much better than what I have at school. And, and so I could have very easily done what I was doing those two weeks from home in a much safer environment, much more controlled environment. And then we had students come back to us remotely um, the 12th of August. So we've had a little over a week and a half of instruction, um, you know, and it's going to be this way until September the 1st, because we are due to have students physically back on campus if they chose to return um, on September 2nd, because students and parents were given the option of, at least for the first nine weeks, being either fully remote or fully on campus. And the only reason hybrid was not a choice was because at the time our district made those choices available, our state education agency did not allow hybrid to be an option. Mm. And so, yeah, Texas was either you're at school or you're not. And But we had to offer, every school had to offer in-person learning. And so then that was, that was the mandate is that every school had to offer that. And it's all tied to funding. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so if you didn't offer any in-person learning, then your school district was not going to receive funds. And even now, if school districts choose to be remote past, I believe it's eight weeks, then there's the threat of losing state funding. And there are several school districts, several, several of the large school districts, you know, Dallas, Houston, I believe Austin and possibly San Antonio, um, you know, the four largest school districts in the state are offering full remote learning, some of them until October. So is that the the governor made that decision? The governor and the TEA, so the Texas Education Agency. And so they're kind of working hand in hand with one another to kind of, you know, keep schools under their thumb, I guess, is the most polite way to say it. Well, it doesn't <laughs> sound like they're keeping the health department, like the no. health department's not in the discussion with them, though. No, in fact, they basically had a ruling that said that the local school districts could override the dis- the decisions of the local health department in determining whether or not schools could be open. Okay, yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So so let let that sit with you for a minute. Is it basically they're saying, you know what? These doctors that run these health departments, nah, they don't know what's good for public health, but the people who run your school systems who might have been football coaches or, you know, ag teachers or science teachers maybe, I don't know, very few of them are science teachers or English teachers, yeah, they can make decisions about you know, the health and safety of your students and the staff. And, and so, you know, there's, there's been a lot of, you know, talk of, you know, from the teacher, well, I wouldn't call them unions here in, in Texas, because we are a right to work state. Um, so they're unions in name only. Um, but there have been, you know, recommendations from those teacher associations and the unions saying, hey, remote should be the default. You know, because it is not completely safe to send people back into the buildings, you know, that have terrible HVAC systems. There's, you know, you know, windows that can't be opened because y'all legit. One of the recommendations was, well, just have your classroom with its windows open. Really? Do, do they know that it's a hundred and something degrees? Apparently they do not. <laughs> well, and the, and the fact that a lot of classrooms don't have windows. <laughs> I mean, my classroom is an interior classroom, so I don't have access to windows. And then the windows that we do have access to are not openable. <laughs> and so, you know, they're, they're giving us these, these ridiculous recommendations that, you know, could never be followed reasonably at all. 
you know, to keep kids and, and teachers safe. And so, you know, it's, it's been interesting, you know, these last couple of weeks, just being there with, and especially this last week and a half with students remotely, but it's once they come back to campus that things are going to get real interesting. And so, you know, I, I don't know what this is going to look like. I'm, I'm, honest, I'm a little terrified about what it's going to look like. Um, you know, and I, I made a video, I shot some video in my classroom the other day, because I had arranged the desks, you know, how it's going to be when students come back. And I'm looking at my my classroom going, man, this is just, this is awful. You know, this mm. is set up the way that I would never set my classroom up, you know, in a permanent, on a permanent basis. You know, and if I'm a kid, you know, I'm sitting a minimum of six feet away from another kid. I'm sitting at least 15 feet away from my teacher, you know, because my teacher is going to be over here in the corner from her desk teaching because that's where all the media station is because I have to teach both, you know, online learners and in-person learners at the same time. And so I don't have the ability to, to not be tethered to the computer, right? During class. So let me, I, I'm sorry, I got to mention that. No, so this no, is, my school has been saying the same thing. We come back to school, which for me, it's supposed to be September, um, I believe, 8th or 9th, where that's the date, the target mm-hmm. date for kids to come back. Right now, we're, we're learning virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally think it's too early. Uh, and I think that when everyone comes back, you know, basically the state's going to be opening up more because the, the levels have been going down. Mm-hmm. Then the levels are just going to go back up again. And we're going to have infections at our school and schools are going to have to close down but we have been asked um we have our regular laptops and then we've been giving everyone has a second device my second Mm -hmm. device is the ipad and then we've been given a tripod and a um wireless like microphones Mm -hmm. and so i i personally don't lecture so i'm like well i'm just gonna stick a um an ipad on someone's desk Mm -hmm. you know which and then throw, make sure somebody's on the Zoom call if they're at home, and then they can be in the conversation with the other students, because mm-hmm. I would still have students work in groups. And so I I don't want to walk around the classroom too much, but I think I'm going to literally go crazy if I have to stand behind a desk. Yeah, um, I'm not looking forward to it, but you know, as somebody who's high risk and has several comorbidities, um, I, I, I've got to do what I have to do to protect myself, yeah. you know, and I live with someone, my husband, who it also has several comorbidities and he's also an educator, but right now he's getting to work from home. Right. And so, you know, and, and that actually just happened just this week because his district, <laughs> they brought their network to its knees <laughs> on the first day of school, which was thir- which was Wednesday for them because they had 60,000 students. And then of course the staff members all trying to access the WebEx server at one time uh-huh. and completely crashed the entire network. And so they were told, you know, that that night, if you have a reliable internet connection at home, you are authorized to work from home immediately, you know, pending further notice. So, you know, my husband was like, yes, I get to work from home. And I'm just like, Ur. so what happens the next day at my school? Somebody cuts a cable in town and cuts the internet off to the entire city. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, is this a sign? <laughs> is this a sign? <laughs> you know? Somebody who knows which cable to cut. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I was going to say, does anybody know where Lee was during that hour? <laughs> Honestly, I was sitting, getting ready to start my second period class when the note, when the, when they got, they sent us a remind saying, oh, by the way, if you still can't get on, you can go home. And I'm like, really? I just started class. <laughs> so, so I ended up staying at school for the rest of the day because I could get on. And I was just like, okay, this, how do they how do they expect, you know, everything to go just smoothly it, and the, flawlessly? The it's system not. is designed to fail. It's going to fail yeah. in some places. Um, it's going to fail really, really badly. Um, they're having rolling blackouts in California. I have, oh, yeah. I have class scheduled. My graduate class is scheduled for Friday. And I got mm-hmm. an email from the school saying, well, your professor might not be able to get onto the call. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
my so, gosh. So Lee, with all of this, I mean, I, I did find an article from, uh, I think it was from Houston Public Media uh-huh. that, that was from earlier in the year. And they were talking about when they, the Ed- Association of Tex- Texas Professional yeah, Educators, mm-hmm. yeah, they said about 60% of teachers, they had 4,200 that they surveyed, 60% yeah. were concerned about their health and safety. Yeah, so that's accurate. Are, that's so have you, have you guys, have you had lost, I mean, you have a giant faculty because you're yeah. a 5,000 student school. Mm-hmm. Have you had people just not come back this year? Absolutely. In fact, we had to hire, let's see, we had, I know at least two in my department that left because of health concerns. We have another one leaving tomorrow because of health concerns. He's retiring. Um, we've had a lot of people just not come back, you know, and I, and I knew over the summer, once it was obvious that we were going to be coming back to school in some form or fashion and person, you know, face to face that, you know, we would see uh, the beginnings of a mass exodus that, that I think honestly is going to come to a, a head at the semester. Um, because what you're going to see is people, you know, once students start returning and you start seeing, you know, infections happening. And this is, I mean, on my campus alone, we've already been notified twice in the last week and a half that we've had staff members test positive for COVID and that we've got people in quarantine right now because of it. Um, you know, and now that the federal government has decided, oh, teachers are essential workers and they can go back to work if they have been, you know, COVID infected, I would not be surprised if more people didn't leave, you know, to be honest, because, you know, or if they left rather, because it's just with this particular disease, you know, we still don't know so much about it, right? But what we do know about it is pretty awful mm-hmm. and and that it is debilitating for people who do happen to survive it, um, you know, and, and we've had, like I said, we've had staff members test positive for it. We've had, you know, students who's, who've had family members that were lost to it, you know, things of that nature. And I just don't understand why the risk of, placing, you know, about 5,500 people under one roof, you know, with a disease that nobody has a natural immunity to, that has no vaccine yet, you know, why is that an acceptable risk for us to take? Because somebody has to make um, money. So people are worried about the, people are worried about capitalism. They want to make money and teachers, I mean, they're not the ones who have to be in the classroom with the kids. They're not the ones who have to like, be videotaped 24 7 and be able you know try to meet the needs of like i personally i have too many kids in my i feel like it's already hard to just teach in a regular situation but now i feel like my classes are packed and the kids are all spread out i don't even know how i'm supposed to get around to each kid but like i feel like somebody is more concerned about the economy and having businesses open and um People don't want to have to say, let's let's help people who need the help. Let's provide the financial support. Right. Well, and at that point, it almost feels then that that schools are default child care in exactly. some cases because, you know, it's like, well, I understand that parents, you know, want to go to work and need to go to work because they've got to support their families. But teachers have families, too. And, you know, we want the same things you want. We want to be able to support our families. We want to be healthy. We want our families to be healthy, you know, but when you open up school buildings for, you know, us and and schools are not like hospitals, you know, because that's the other, the other factor that I think, you know, figures into this is that, well, nurses are essential workers and they do this all the time. And yes, but you know what? They work in buildings designed for that purpose and they are outfitted appropriately, I'm going to work in jeans and a t-shirt with a handmade mask and a filter. And they don't know? see 33, you know, no. people at a time typically either. Exactly. For, for an hour and a half at a time in my case, you know, because my classes are an hour and a half long. And so, you know, and, and breathing the same recirculated air because, you know, yeah, we were told, oh, well, the HVAC system is now doing this and that, that, and I'm like, really? Because I just don't feel <laughs> like any of these things that you're telling me that are being put into place to keep us safe are are really actually doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, I have a hand I have a hand sanitizer dispenser on my wall now, 
that's great. You know what? I didn't use hand sanitizer before because I wash my hands with mm -hmm. soap and water. And I tell my students the same thing, you know, washing your hands with soap and water is much better. And, and, and so I just, and, and never mind, this is a respiratory virus. You know, yeah. it seems like everything that they're doing to mitigate the spread of this in schools has to do with surfaces. And I'm like, no, <laughs> this is not, you know, this is yeah. not something that's transmissible on the surfaces of things, you know, but when you provide staff with like, for example, the PPE they provided for us, y'all, a face shield, yeah. a face shield. <laughs> and do, do they know that that doesn't prevent the spread of anything Apparently if you don't have... not, unless you're wearing a mask with it. Apparently yeah. not, because there are faculty on my own hallway that seem to think that wearing a face shield is adequate enough, you know, and it just it makes me and some of my other colleagues just we don't leave our we don't leave our classrooms unless we have to. You know, we try really hard not to interact with anybody, you know, unless we have to. And even then it's at a distance. You know, and so this this environment now that we're being sent back into is also not mentally healthy, you know, because teaching can be such an isolating thing. Right. I mean, because you can, you know, a lot of teachers work by themselves because they don't have a team. But this, you know, this is even more isolating than it than it ever was before, you know, because you can't truly have collaboration in the same space with people you can't have lunch together safely you know unless you go outside and you're all apart i mean it's 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 not a mentally healthy environment to be in either and especially when you're there every day with the thought in the back of your mind you know especially when students come back which one of these kids is going to get me sick which one of my colleagues is going to get me sick because yes we can control to some extent the behavior of people inside the building we cannot outside, do that yeah. outside. Exactly. We don't know where they go or what they do when they're outside and away from the school building. The opinion yeah. piece by the New York Times said that basically, like, they're just going to lower the standards for, like, substitute mm -hmm. teachers and for, you know, yeah. requirements for, you know, licenses and everything. And that so nobody really respects the profession of teaching as a whole, it's going no. to be like downgraded even more now and that mm -hmm. you're, we're going to have a teacher shortage. Yeah. And I mean, even worse than we already do. Right. Yeah. Well, I think this is a, this is a good natural transition. Cause Ryan, I mean, I, I found that article that talks about how Missouri already has a teacher shortage and you teach in a, a place where I got to imagine your, your school is small. You are the science teacher. Um, you know, uh, how is it with, with retaining teachers, with recruiting teachers to a, a more remote rural small district? Uh, what are you seeing in terms of teacher retention or teacher issues or, or how people are going back? Because you do not seem to have the option to go to a remote learning model. Um, it seems like it's in person or, or almost nothing. Right. We, um, our, our kids are given the option to do um, some, some sort of 100% online learning, but that is through a completely different district that our district has to pay for since we're public. So if they have the resources to do so, they can, but it wouldn't be through us. Um, one of our big issues, as you said, is um, not just retaining teachers, but retaining subs so in our district, we have three. We have three subs in the whole district. And um, let's say that a group of teachers gets quarantined. So, so now what? We we will have more teachers out than we have subs. Um, they, as Tanea said, um, Missouri just lowered the standard for substitute teaching. Now, instead of needing a substitute certificate, um, all you need to do is take a 20 hour online course and have a high school diploma. And wow. now you're eligible to be a substitute teacher. Um, but of course in districts like mine, it's, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily an option cause there's no, there's no draw to our district. Um, we had, I, I've heard quite a bit that we do not have to worry about it as much as say, your guys' schools, because we are not in a population center. Um, we, my, my school district is spread out over about five, 600 square miles, but that still only covers 230 kids, um, seven through 12. But still, we just got our first case um, 
just this, the end of last week and half of my volleyball players have to quarantine. So despite oh, wow. their, you know, they're thinking that, well, this is not going to affect rural schools. Here we are. So, you know, if, if the threshold to close, whatever that percentage may be, let's say it's 5%, um, we're going to hit that fairly quickly. 5% of 230 is what, like 12? <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. that, that's, not, that's not that much. So no. you add that on top of um, the, the difficulty to get teachers at a rural district, um, especially because the amount of preps that we have, it, I mean, it is, it is compounded itself. It just seems to me like because the world has already been designed to be inequitable, mm-hmm. like there's not a fix. There's not like internet is not, e- you know, easily accessible for all people. I have a kid that's coming to no. class um, in a cafe right now. I, I, I'm pretty sure he's in a cafe when he's in class. And um, I'm and I'm not in a I'm in a I teach in Phoenix. That's like a, you know, you you would you might think that people don't have internet issues in the city, mm-hmm. um, and so I just feel like everything because we this the, our country has been designed like we all don't have e- equal internet access. We all don't have um, our each state's not approaching the situation the same way. We don't we don't even have like mm-hmm. standards that are like yeah. universal. Like we're not even mm-hmm. all expected to teach. Uh, the same amount of hours and the same content in the same way. There's just right. so much variation from school to school and from district to district and state to state that I don't know how, like I keep thinking about the AP exam at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I don't know how college board is going to have some exam and say, yes, this exam is going to um, be a fair exam for all the students who are taking it. It's impossible. No. Well, and even in a good year, it's it's still not <laughs> a fair exam when you really think about it. I mean, and and I think your point about, you know, the, you know, the way that our society is set up to be inequitable. You know, I keep thinking about these these schools where the majority of students are black and brown and how those communities have been disproportionately affected by COVID. And, you know, that a lot of those schools are in places that you know, they may not be very well sourced, right? They don't maybe have access to devices. They don't maybe have good internet connections. You know, how are those students not going to suffer from that? You know, the, how are the they students not going are to suffer and the teachers are going to feel like they can't make a difference? Right. But not all teachers. Like no. if you're, if you're not passionate about teaching, I just don't understand under these circumstances why you would be there. Like I get the yeah. passionate people, but the problem is there's a lot of teachers who are not passionate. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of teacher training programs who don't help teachers to find their passion. Right. Well, and it just makes you wonder if you're not truly passionate about education in the first place, pandemic or no, why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. You know, Why are you even there if this is not something that you just feel like you are drawn to, that you feel it called to? Because... It's such an important profession. I mean, it, to me, it's the most important profession because it makes all the other ones. Right. And and so, you know, if you're not passionate about the, the work that we do, why are you doing it? You know, why are you even there? I think that in some districts, like in my school district, I think it's, it's not to say that um, there's not a variation in, in passion um, about the profession. I, I think I teach in a, a building where really they, the, the entire district is set up to draw people who just are really passionate about what they do. There is a sort of culture of um, almost unhealthy overachieving and overworking that mm-hmm. is pervasive in the students, in the families, and in the faculty. Like for all, every member in our, our community is they're kind of, it's kind of like a workaholic community, if you will. <laughs> um, but I will say that I have colleagues who, I mean, I, I often joke about Lee, Lee, a couple of years ago, I remember you having, saying like, you know, I'm taking Saturdays off. Saturdays are my day away mm-hmm. from schoolwork. I'm no not going to do schoolwork Saturdays. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, I could, and I remember you saying that and I was like, oh, I couldn't do that. Like I, cause to me, like I, I, at that time, you know, this is, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, it was like, 
I was, you know, 24 seven kind of going out. And I, I do think that there is a, I think this is probably the interesting challenge for the teachers who care a lot and are passionate, because I think if you bring the same intensity to the job that say, you know, I, I think a lot of my colleagues and a lot of us on this call bring, mm -hmm. and we don't both modulate our expectations and how we frame things for our kids, mm. we're going to burn out. Like I, I am, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm legit worried about, and I've been trying to like build systems up as we get into the fall about like, you know, I, 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 in theory have like, you know, 11, 12 years before I retire, but I could see myself getting to the point where I got very, I was very short tempered, um, last spring <laughs> by, <laughs> by the end of, by the end of the school year, I, I did not have a very long fuse. It did not take me long to go from zero to 60 in terms of like something pissing me off. Uh, and that was just for three months with a group of kids who I really knew well, like, how is it that I, I'm going to make it so that, yeah, I've made this decision and I, and we've all talked about it. We've all made this decision. We're going to stay this year. How is it that I make sure that like I stay, but I stay in a way that I am not mentally just always on the edge. And like, how do I do it in a way that I'm not like a terrible husband and father and I am not somebody who's going out of my mind? Like, how do well, I stay and stay sane? You can't, it can't be about the grades. Like you have to say, I'm here to love the kids and support the kids and to help them to grow. And like, I'm sorry, I, is it okay if we curse on this podcast? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, I, I've only had one, uh, uh, Ryan Reardon person oh, yeah. I've, ever, I've, I've ever had to edit swears out. Uh, at the moment, we're not explicit, so uh, okay, maybe we, so we shouldn't. <laughs> I won't curse. I'll just say, I feel like saying F, you know, yeah. like F the, yeah. the, the AP test. Like, I'm just not, I can't go into my year and that be like everything mm -hmm. because I will end up and I, like I said, I'm taking graduate courses and I'm doing other things. Like I will end up literally going crazy. And keep in mind, I have two kids at the moment that are on doing online learning virtually. And my husband's mm -hmm. teaching online virtually right now. And my sister um, is trying to recover from pneumonia. And she's here staying in the house and she's helping my younger son. And I'm worried that like, I'm worried about a lot of things. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my sister getting sick. And so like, I can't, I can't just say AP scores are the, the most important thing or getting through all the, this many units is the most important thing. Well, it's mm -hmm. just not going to be not this year. Yeah. I was going to say, and the other thing too, you know, I think about is, you know, honestly, the test is the least important thing. You know, I told my kids the the very first day and even on my Canvas homepage, the landing page, it, it basically says, look, you know, I'm not going to point out the obvious, right, that that this situation sucks. But here's what I am going to do for you. I'm going to be here to listen to you. I'm going to be here to hear what your hopes are, what your fears are. You know, I'm going to do what I think is best for you and your well-being because that is the most important thing right now. And I'm going to teach you a great science class, you know, because that's the most important thing, you know, and as far as like trying to keep yourself from like totally just flipping your, you know, I think it's important to set boundaries. Um, you know, one of the things that I've taken to doing now is that every day at 4.30, I walk out of my building for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't, I can't, let me put it this way. There is nothing I can do in the building that I can't do at home. You know, I don't need to be in that building breathing in that HVAC, you know, that's cruddy. Um, so I'm going to walk out. I'm going to leave. You know, I don't feel terribly obligated to be there late. Um, second, you know, I've, I've made time for myself every week to work with a trainer. And she's teaching me how to box right now, which is awesome because it is such great stress relief. And so you've got to build in some time for self-care, you know, and I know that that just sounds so cliche, but right now it is so true, you know, and say it, and say it again. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, it's so true that you, if you don't take care of yourself, nothing else is going to happen. Nothing else is going to fall into place. Right. And so, I mean, I'm fortunate in that the place I go to work out is very small and that not very many people go there. And so like when my trainer and I are working together, it's usually me, her and the dude that works the front desk, <laughs> you know, so I feel pretty safe when I'm there. Um, but you've, you've got to have some kind of release, something, something healthy, you know, 
because I know that there's, you know, so many people are like, oh my gosh, I've gained this much weight or I've been drinking more and this and that. It's like, okay, you know, I understand that those are coping mechanisms. They're not the healthiest coping mechanisms. Well, stop talking about me. feel <laughs> 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 That's okay. I mean, I learned to bake during quarantine and now I'm like baking a freaking pie or a cake or some crap every week. Like I, right now I have a pie crust cooling on my dining room table. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, oh, red, red chili cinnamon cookies are the crust. Wow. And I'm going to put a dark chocolate filling in it. It is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only two of us that live in my house. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and th- this is one of those things where like, if we were in normal school, I would take it to work and be like, here, people eat it. But I can't mm-hmm. do that now. So, oh, no, we have to eat it here at home. <laughs> but I mean, it's that self-care is so important. And whatever form that self-care takes, whether it is working out, cooking good food, you know, doing making art. That's what my husband does is his self-care he, because he's an art teacher, you know, taking a walk, you know, doing yoga, doing some kind of meditation, writing, whatever, making music, something that will help just to kind of recenter you and, and settle your soul, you know, because, you know, you've, you've got to have something, you know, and like I said, establish those boundaries and establish them with your kids, because if they don't know, because we're now online, they're going to think that you are at their beck and call 24 seven. And that is not acceptable. You know, I told my students last week, I said, look, I don't answer email after I walk out of the building every day. I said, if you have something urgent, it's going to have to wait until the next morning when I get here, you know, because that was a behavior I adopted, you know, last, last school year was that I did not look at school email until I returned to work the next day. And, and that really helped, you know, at least keep me mentally healthy in terms of work, because, you know, when Aaron was describing the community that he lives and works in, you know, my community is the same way and, and my school community is the same way. And so for the longest time, I mean, I literally would work 19 hours a day and then sleep for five hours a night. And now, I mean, and maybe this is just me getting closer to 50. I'm just like, F that, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. I need to take care of myself, you know? And part of that was, you know, for the last, um, not last year, but two years before that, my mother had become ill. And so mm-hmm. I was her caretaker, you know, before she passed away last spring. And it, and, and that was the, the defining moment that taught me, you know what, you really do need to take care of, better care of yourself. Because if you can't take care of yourself, then you can't take care of her, you know? And then once she was gone, I was just like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't have my mom to take care of anymore. What am I going to do? And then I was like, dumbass you've got to take care of yourself i hope i hope there's some like principals and some teachers and some maybe even superintendents or even Mm -hmm. like board members that are listening because i think that we really underestimate how important the um social what do you what do you have what's the proper way to say it yes the the social emotional yeah, well-being of the teacher. That's like yes. so important. And if the teacher is being taken care of and just given some room to be a human being, you know, mm-hmm. and step away when, yes. when we need to, then we're going to be better uh, human beings for the students and we're going right. to be able to do the same thing for the kids. Well, and I think having administrators that understand that is pretty important. I mean, I feel very lucky that the the school that I work at has an administration that really does they do treat us like a family, right? And, you know, warts and all, they, they love us like a family and they understand, you know, when somebody needs to step away, then, Hey, you know, we're going to work with you to make sure that, you know, whatever it is, that's that you deal with whatever it is that's causing you to have to step away. And if it means you have to be away from your kids for a little bit, then it means you have to be away. What I'm afraid of is that this year that's going to look really different, you know, kind of looping back around to the substitute issue, you know, we have already been told that it's going to be really tough for us to get subs um, and that they're thinking about, you know, assigning specific subs to each campus just to kind of minimize movement between campuses. But what that also means is that that pool of subs is going to be super, super small and very shallow. And so, you know, it's not that I don't know that they're going to ease the requirements for people to become subs because in my district, you have to have, I think it's a college degree to be a substitute teacher. You don't have to have certification, 
Um, but you do have to have a college degree. And then if you're going to be a sub doing a long-term subbing position, then you have to be a retired teacher. You have to have had certification. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I really, I'm really afraid of what is going to happen when people do start falling ill because it's not on an if it's a when. Uh, when, when people do start falling ill and having to miss school for weeks at a time, what is that going to look like? You know, how is that going to work? You know, are teachers going to be asked to take on those other teachers' sections? I mean, I'm already seeing at my campus the teachers who have been assigned to all virtual classes, that their rosters are well over 200, 240 kids. I'm sorry, you know? for, for one teacher? Yes. Like I have how, a colleague. How is that legal? <laughs> There's no cap anymore. You know, our I know our school board. Oh, we, eliminated- all of us teachers yeah. need to get together and go on strike. That's crazy. <laughs> if we could strike in Texas, believe me, I am pretty positive that we could, but or we would. But unfortunately, here in the state of Texas, if teachers go on strike or cause a work stoppage, we forfeit two things: we forfeit our teaching certificates and our retirement. Yeah, thanks, Texas legislature, for hamstringing us for exercising, you know, the right to dissent with our school districts <laughs> in our state. So, yeah. well, so I'll tell yeah. you, even in, even in Massachusetts, because as we, you know, as as things got contentious at times, uh, as the build up into the year, and again, my district is a lot of positive things, but there were, you know, what if scenarios in terms of. You know, if things weren't going well, what would happen? And we were told point blank that we are not allowed to strike. Uh, mm-hmm. We can have what is referred to as a work stop- stoppage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that basically means that we are, you know, forfeiting our salary. It's not as as bad as Texas, but it was, you know, the, the, the consequences were we were choosing to not go to work. And uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a really, it, it basically put the teachers, it had to be so severe that the teachers needed to be ready for um, significant consequences. Not as wow. bad as what Lee's talking about, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, ours are pretty draconian. Yeah. I mean, the, the state, uh, I'll just be blunt. The state here likes to keep teachers under its thumb. It really does. I mean, we're prohibited from running for the legislature here. You know, yes, we would have to resign our positions as teachers to run for the legislature because of the way that the um, legislature in the state of Texas meets. It's a it meets every other year. I guess what do they call that biennial? Yeah, yeah it only meets every other year. Which I'm sorry, that's stupid. <laughs> I mean, for a state as large as ours to have the issues that we have to meet every other year is just about the damn dumbest thing. But you know, because the legislature only meets for four months every other year, you know, for a teacher to serve in either the state Senate or the state house, that's half the, that's half the school year, roughly, right. you know, so they would have to resign, you know, cause I've, I've entertained the thought of running for the legislature and I'm still, I still think about it, but I'm like, you know what, I'll just wait until I retire when I have all the time in the world and <laughs> nothing to do, you know, because I'm not, you know, they don't, they say that teachers don't actually retire. They just kind of find other things to do. <laughs> and I'm definitely going to be one of those that <laughs> finds other things to do. Ryan, we're talking about like these very different districts. And I do want to hear, I do want to hear like sort of what the mentality of your colleagues are. I mean, you've been back in yeah. the building. I saw you in a lovely uh, hazmat suit earlier this week. Uh, <laughs> that that outfit was amazing. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so like, I'm, I am curious about what the conversations are happening, like in and around where you guys are um, having talked to some other people out in sort of smaller Midwest districts, you know, earlier in the year, it struck me that like COVID really didn't hit home there. At when I went in Massachusetts, we had, you know, 6,000 deaths at the time. And, and then they were like, do you know anybody who has had this? Because it's just, it, it, it was definitely a in certain locations. But I'm curious what the conversations are like there. Is there a building fear? Are people concerned about the arc of the year? What does it feel like when you check in with colleagues? Well, that, that's one of the things that um, came into my mind as you guys were talking. I, I live in an area where there is not a lot of fear of, of COVID. Yes, we've heard of some people who have gotten it, but no one directly. So for the, for the most part, um, our community is, is not afraid. They, they do not see it as a problem, which is very concerning. Mm -hmm. However, being in a small community, I also think that we take a little bit more of a common sense approach. So one of the things our superintendent told us was that if we have to quarantine, that he does not expect us to use our sick days. 
as, as long as we can show that, you know, we, we are quarantining because of a possible COVID um, exposure, he, he is not going to force us to um, go down and, you know, take take out of our sick days and essentially go unpaid since we don't get 14 sick days. Um, it, it's, it's a very different, um, it, it's a very different, mentality a very different like you know when i talk to you guys and my other science teacher colleagues that there is no question that this is a thing and this is happening and people are dying but in in my community more so it is i have to convince people that this is a thing and that people are dying you know this Mm -hmm. is not a conspiracy Mm -hmm. it was not invented by china this was this is an actual virus so i i feel as though my role as the science teacher is more so just basic information, you know, l- letting people know th- the facts of the matter and show, t- trying to prove to them that this is something that we really should be concerned about. You know, um, we, we, we see the memes of people with their masks on, but their noses are not covered. And that's because in, in my area, people legitimately don't understand that that is a problem. Mm. Um, that people will wear masks, but then they'll drop them to talk. Well, that defeats the whole purpose of wearing the mask, but they don't, they really just don't understand. So I, I guess I'm in a unique situation where I, I have to, I, I kind of have to act as the de facto educator for the community. I don't yeah. think it's only the rural places though. Like I, I see that in Phoenix too. Yeah. It's definitely rampant here. I mean, our county, our county judge even at one time was like, yeah, no, this is really not so much a threat. (laughs) So, and in Texas, the county judges are the ones making the decisions for the counties, you know? So when you go back to what Tanea said about, there's not a unified response, it is just so amazingly varied just with it from county to county. You know how, you know, for example, Dallas County County Judge there was like, nope, nobody has in-person school until September the 8th. You know, plain and simple. That's how it's going to be. Dallas County schools don't start until September the 8th. And then here in Collin County, you know, my county judge was like, it's fine. Y'all can go back to school face to face. It's all good. (laughs) You know, so there's just so much disparity in how this is being handled. Yeah. And where where I am in Massachusetts, and I've I've said this a few times in the last few months that you know um you know we're going to be at nine thousand deaths in the state of Massachusetts by September first, um like it, we were you know the the hardest hit states were New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts were the, the those early states that were really bad, and the county I teach in is one of the you know Middlesex County. It's a big county in Massachusetts, and it had it was in the top twenty deaths early on. So mm-hmm. like the community was hit hard, and so there's definitely a reality there. But we don't have county based decisions. You literally have school district by school district decisions. The overall state of Massachusetts has prioritized, you know, butts in seats as the number one priority. Like they said, every school district had to have a plan that said you had to have three options, a full remote option, a hybrid option and a um, a a full return model. Those were your your three things you had to go. And the number nobody that I know of, I'm sure there are some small rural districts in the western part of our state. Um which, you know, I, I grew up in the western part of the state and I, I was in one of the more populated, like, population centers of western Massachusetts. But a lot of western Massachusetts is very rural um, and big regional school districts that cover lots, lots of space. And, and there, it's like seven or eight communities that come together to make up a, a regional school um, similar to what Ryan was talking about. Um, and out there, there's just not a lot of cases. There's just it, it isn't. And, and I think that you might have some face to face, all face to face back there. But in our in our state, it actually is being driven as much by economics as safety, what districts are doing. Like I know that my, my, my own children, they're one of the reasons that they're, they're going, they're calling it a slow return from remote to hybrid. They're starting out remotely. And the reason they're starting out remotely is that what they're going to do is they're going to bring kids back pace by pace because they could not afford to do the full hybrid model that they're rolling out and mm-hmm. do that for all the students. These, the district simply could not afford that. When you say not like can't afford 
like can you just give us some details like like yeah so my the where I live is uh, in the central part of the state. Um, I, I live just north. Uh, the major city in the central part of Massachusetts is Worcester, and I live just north of that. And the district where I live, it's five towns go to one place, and a lot of it is very rural, and so it's a massive bus coverage. So for them to run buses through the size of the district and to space the kids out, they would need to to like meet all of the requirements to have like cutting down the number of kids on the bus and to meet the requirements the states sort of laid out in there they would have to sort of double the number of buses that they were doing or raise it by a certain percentage and move and it would really it would become a very it would be it's going to become very complicated when they do even go back to a hybrid plan but it's they're going to have to increase capacity of certain things like busing and some of the ppe that they're going to have to provide because the districts have to buy have to have a minimum ppe requirement that they have to give um, as part of like what they're saying and to do that for 180 days is is like it's an enormous expense that's going to come out of the district, mm-hmm. um, and some of it's being offset by the state. But our district already was going into because a lot of the tax base out here has been decimated because we have Massachusetts has like a seventeen percent uh, unemployment right now. The number of businesses that have like fully closed, and you know, again, we're not we are a good example of getting the virus under control in Massachusetts and driving down numbers, but at the cost of the economy. Um, the right. Massachusetts economy, which was very robust before this hit, now has is now leading the country. It's one of the it's the highest unemployment rates in the entire country, oh, wow. with the driving down of the rates. So there's like there is some legitimate political issues going on in this state where I think we have by and large you go out, you've come together. A lot of the businesses have pivoted. You can get contact pick contactless pickup of a lot of things. You can you know like a lot of the businesses around here, the restaurants. Right. Uh, they're only open in like patio type situations or very limited opening if you're in space. Like very little is open up here. The economy has barely opened up. They've really been slow about it. And our numbers continue to stay low. Um, and there's huge benefits there. Um, when you guys, I, I think I told you before, when we are out at a conference or something, we have something called Flex at my school, which mm-hmm. I, I love it, by the way. So we can... Uh, like, let's say I'm not going to be available for the students on Monday. I can give them, I say, oh, today you have flex. I can just tell them, this is what's posted on Canvas, what you're supposed to do. Uh, make sure you get it done, please. And I don't have to get a substitute teacher. But I, I, my school said, like, if you're sick, but you're able to still, like, you can't come to work. Because even though we're teaching virtually right now, um, we're all on campus at least most of us teachers are on campus but mm-hmm. we asked like what happens if we're sick and they said like um well if you're sick and you just have like mild symptoms keep teaching and um so i think everybody was like okay with that and then if you're like really sick and you can't teach they're like okay well if you can't teach then you know like then you officially will um call in sick and uh, but I think I think the expectation is like some of the, sometimes you don't need a sub for some things that you need the kids to do. But like if it's like a long term thing, then then maybe we'll get a sub. But I think they're they're providing like a lot of flexibility in what in what that's going to look like. It, is it yeah. is it different for public schools then? No, yeah. we definitely yeah. don't. Have that. Yeah, okay. we don't have that either. <laughs> and and I will say, I you know, I teach in I teach some upper level kids in a in a pretty large district, and we have situations. A, a more realistic situation will happen with me is we will sometimes like let's say we have a conference and it's coming to an area, and we know we just cannot get the sub coverage. I can with my students say something like. Uh, you guys need to do X, Y, and Z by the next time you're in class. And you guys are, we, we have the phrase that you have, uh, you have a study this period, um, sort of okay. nod, nod, wink, wink. But that, it's not because of like a policy. It's a, it's a making the best of things. And a lot of times what we'll do is we will cover sort of what Lee was saying. We're more likely to cover from one another. Like right. more likely like, what would happen is, I would pop in and get the class started and I would sort of basically run sort of a a virtual study. I would run a study hall for my kids. And so what is that going to look like in a virtual setting? 
Mm-hmm. I, I envision we're going to be doing something fairly, fairly similar where I could see a situation where if somebody needs coverage and it's, you know, one of my fellow honors biology teachers, or if it's my fellow AP biology teacher, I could very easily see the situation. There's, there's just only so many of us that it, that we're going to end up covering for them in some way. And I don't know what that's going to look like in the hybrid or the virtual or the, I, I just, I don't, it's such, it's so new. I don't know what that all looks like. Right. I think that like at my campus, what that's going to look like is if somebody has to be out for any reason, um, illness or no, I mean, we were essentially told, you know, we don't know what the sub situation is going to look like. And when I talked to the, um, the woman who is our substitute coordinator on campus, you know, I said, so if somebody needs to be out, should we just like plan the, you know, asynchronous learning portions for the kids to do? Because apparently my, my school thinks that asynchronous learning just means you're not on zoom. Um, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> and she just kind of looked at me like, yep. <laughs> I said, okay, so basically do what I do when I do have a sub in my room, like a warm body, you know, because when I leave for conferences and stuff, I get a sub and, and I make the work that I, my kids do independent work. I go, look, go yeah. on a campus, do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And we'll discuss it when I get back. Right. You know, so I'm just like, okay, well then this is not going to be any different. It's just going to be that the kids who have to have an adult supervising them because they're here face to face, they're going to need a body to supervise the kids. Cause it's really the only reason why this substitute would even be necessary is but legally there has to be an adult in the room. You know, they can still be taught virtually, but they've got to have an adult to supervise them. I thought I saw on the AP Facebook group, and I know some of our neighboring districts have made it so that um, teachers are required to have three weeks, uh, essentially be three weeks ahead on Canvas or whatever their LMS is. Oh, I haven't done that. And so that way, if they go under quarantine, like mm-hmm. you guys were explaining, you could just have them do whatever they need to do on their LMS. And you just now need an adult to, to be in there for legal reasons. They don't have to do any teaching. Right. I mean, right. just because you have stuff posted on canvas doesn't mean anything that you expect to happen is going to happen. That's oh, right. of course. Or that the kids have any understanding of the content or yeah. anything. I, I like that just blows my mind. And I, and why we're, why we're expected to be able, like, Obviously, I can teach my AP bio class. I can teach my honors biology class. I've done it before. I taught summer school. But to teach now virtually for, for the first time, starting the year virtually mm-hmm. with new students and not just having one summer school class, but having five different mm-hmm. classes, mm-hmm. it's something I'm having. Um, even with that online experience I have, I'm having um to think about it a lot and I'm putting in a lot of time to process it. So I, it's yeah. really, really hard for me to be like three, four weeks out when I'm, I, right. the timing on everything is just so different and it never goes yeah. the way I expect. And I have to keep making these right. adjustments. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and the thing is, is that you're having to adjust as you go, you know, because yes. you'll try something out with kids and then, and then you realize once you regroup the next class period, whenever that happens to be, you know, you ask the kids for feedback and they're like, yeah, so we just didn't get this. I'm like, okay, back to the drawing board, right. you know, and, and, and I, I found just in the last week and a half of instruction, I've had to do that several times, yeah. you know, where I've had to just kind of blow things up and start over again because something didn't go the way I was expecting it to, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that this is fully uh, something that we're going to talk about in a couple of months, because I think that like the whole p- concept of like curriculum pacing, uh, oh we God. are, we're in <laughs> uncharted territory here. Uh-huh. And we are, I, I mean, I am like, this is one of those things I really dread, but I'm also like, try, I'm trying to build in like flexibility for myself, uh, mm-hmm. knowing that I don't know what I'm doing. And as somebody who's been in the classroom for so long, it's weird to say that out loud. Yeah. That I don't know yeah. how to pace this out is not something I've had to really deal with in, a, in a, quite a long time. So, Well, we are technically every single one of us, regardless of how long we have taught, we're yeah. all first year teachers, yeah. you know, all over again. We are all rookies again, you know, and for those of us that teach the AP course, that's that's doubly true because last year we were all rookies again with the new CED, <laughs> you know, and so it, it kind of bites being a rookie twice in a row. <laughs> We're all, you know, like, we're all rookie essential workers now. Yes. Um, oh boy. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I think I'm going to put a cap on this for part one. And as you can tell, we're going to talk quite a bit and we're going to have a part two about this. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more maybe, uh, and we're going to try to frame it, uh, about our fears and our, our, we're going to try to get this into the positivity. Like what are we looking forward to? So we, we all have some fears. We all have some anxiety. I think we've talked quite a bit about what our districts are doing. Uh, but I'm going to put a cap on part one of the, uh, should I stay or should I go episode that we have here? Um, and say, uh, we would also love feedback. So you feel free to, um, you know, uh, direct message or tweet at life of the school, um, I have my direct messages open on uh, Twitter, um, so feel free to do that. Or you can message me at Mr. Matthew Tweets, um, or you can get all of us. We're all of, over the Facebook community or all over Twitter, um, any one of us, and give us feedback and let us know, you know, uh, what's going on? What's your stay-go story? Have you left school or a teaching profession? Or have you have you had colleagues that have left um, and, and you've heard their stories and would like to share? Uh, we'd love to hear feedback. Um, we're going to revisit the feedback in October um, when we hear from people assuming we get some feedback. So uh, with that, I am going to put a cap on episode part one, episode 102, part one of Should I Say or Should I Go? And uh, we will be back later this month for part two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.